Bibles to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to move through uh, to the, the, the body of what I want to try to give you tonight is out of 2 Corinthians 2 and 7, but we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, um, and kind of give you the idea uh, for this message, the groundwork for it. Repentance and restoration, <clears throat> we've been preaching through a series, but it's been loosely over um, the past few uh, month or so, maybe a couple months, um, and I did a, a message, well, it's been a few months ago, they did a message on speaking to your sycamine tree, and, and that was the whole idea of, of dealing with things that are happening in our lives, and then I talked one about rebuke is good, it's a good thing uh, for someone to rebuke you over something you've got wrong in your life, that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Um, especially somebody that wants to try to be a help to you, that's rebuking you, that's a good thing. Um, we don't always take it that way, but it's meant to be good. And then I preached a message to you on, on uh, repentance and, um, and how to repent from being rebuked and getting your life right when you're off track. We talked a little bit about that. And then I talked to you the other day about bitterness and about not handling things correctly and having bitterness problems. And um, so we talked a little bit through some of this, and now I want to talk about restoration restoring with somebody that has had to be rebuked. And that's what we, what we do, what God does. I talked about this a little bit this morning from Hebrews chapter 12 and what um, our parents do, what churches do. A lot of times you may hear, um, you know, the Bible tells us to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We're going to sometimes reprove, sometimes rebuke. Sometimes it's exhorting. Everybody likes, well, praise the Lord. I love it. A good exhorting message. But sometimes there's going to be a reproving and sometimes going to be a rebuking um, in the messages. And so uh, what we do sometimes is the, is this threefold. We're, we're rebuking, but we're hoping that the person that's being rebuked will repent. And then we're hoping for the repentance we can have restoration. And that's what we're looking for. Now, I'm going to show you in 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 7 a little bit about uh, restoring somebody that has messed something up, that has gotten off track, that's been rebuked and is going to repent. But to do that, I want to show you about the rebuking that took place. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, look at verse number 11, Paul wrote a letter. If you, you've been around here any period of time, you've heard us talk through 1 Corinthians that Paul, the, the, this whole letter, 1 Corinthians, is a rebuke from beginning to end. It's a rebuke, that he's rebuking them on the ways they're doing things wrong. And in uh, chapter 1, look at verse number 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the household of Chloe, the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And so he says, you know, I've been told that there's some issues going on in the church, and I'm going to fix those issues. I'm going to write a letter. Imagine standing up, somebody says, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Praise the Lord. Let's read it to everybody. And then you begin reading it. It's 16 chapters of Paul saying, stop doing this. Don't do that. Get right with this. Deal with that guy. Stop glorying over the fact that this is going on, and you should be mourning over the fact this is going on. Some of you are suing each other, and you ought to stop doing that. Some of you have got some sin problems with sexual sin, and then he calls them out and who it is, and does deal with them. And I mean, you got a lot of stuff that he's dealing with with this. So 1 Corinthians 1, 11, he deals with it. Chapter 3, look at that one. And look at verse number 1. It says that I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal. Because there's divisions and strifes and stuff among them. And so here he is saying, look, y'all are a bunch of carnal babies. Can you imagine that one? Getting a letter, it says, all right, we got a letter from Paul. He says, we're carnal babies. He says, he can't even teach us spiritual things because we're such babies. Well, that's what he does. 
Look at chapter 11. Look at chapter 11. He's going to use in chapter 6 to talk about suing each other. 7, immorality. 8, 9, and 10, he's going to talk about people saying, well, I've got liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. And he rebukes the issue about somebody saying, I've got liberty. But if your liberty is causing somebody else to stumble, then you've just sinned against God and against that person. That's what he says in 8, 9, and 10. And sometimes we've got to lay our liberties aside for the better of somebody else. That's 8, 9, and 10. But you get to chapter 11, in verse number 34, watch what he says. He's rebuked them over the fact that they can't sin under authority. There's a lot of people that just cannot be under authority. They just hate authority. they got to do it their own way. And then they have a problem with the Lord's Supper. We preached on that a little while ago. In verse number 34 of chapter 11, watch the way he ends it. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye... Come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. He says, I've, I've 11 chapters of all the things you've got wrong, and guys, there's more. And when I get there, I'll tell you the rest of the things. That's a great letter. Look at chapter 14. He's rebuking them over all the stuff that they've got going on in the church. Chapter 14 is the, the great chapter on tongues. And um, if you've never heard us preach on that and teach on that before, you ought to go find it in the logs of all the stuff. People have for years taken 1 Corinthians chapter 4 to say, this is what we should be doing in church when it comes to speaking in tongues, when actually 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just like every other chapter in 1 Corinthians, is a rebuke on the fact that they're doing it all wrong. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. About tongues and about, uh, uh, well, tongues, we say it this way, tongues or speaking in another language, because it's a language, it's a language. And so speaking of the language or prophesying, and he deals with both of those things. And then he ends that one. Look at verse number 37. Watch what he says. Think about, think about saying this. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man will be ignorant, let him be ignorant. It's a great statement. There are some people in there that just are like, hey, here's the truth. I don't like it. Well, just be ignorant if you want to be ignorant. That's what he says. I mean, he has told them the truth, and it's a rebuke all the way through this whole thing. He's had to rebuke them over what's going on. Now, not only is he rebuking an entire church over all the stuff they're doing wrong within that church, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's also going to rebuke an individual within the church because the church won't deal with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at that one, and in verse number 1, it is reported commonly that there is... A, there is fornication among you and such fornication that is not such as named among the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't even do what you've got a guy doing in there. That one should have his father's wife. There's a man sleeping with his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he which had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily as absent in the spirit but present and body, but present in spirit have, uh, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and in my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Jesus. Now, you know, he's saying, he said, you need to, you need to, this is a person, obviously, looking back, if you were to go back to Matthew chapter number 18, and you look at the layout of how you deal with someone that's in an offense, the way you deal with that is you go to that person, you deal with that person personally one-on-one, you to the brother alone, not other people, not call 15 of your closest friends and tell them what they're doing, but you go to them alone, you deal with it alone, 
And if you, if you, if you, if they repent, then you've gained a brother. You've, you've done something good there. Something good's come out of that. If they won't listen, you take somebody else with them. You try several times to make it work with other people and witnesses. And if it's something like this and you, and he can't deal with it, nobody, he's not going to fix it. Then you would bring it before the church and they would say, this guy is going to be turned over. He's already serving Satan. Let him go out there and let him see what it's like. To not have the church body around them gathered to them. If they want to walk with the devil, let them walk with the devil. They're going to experience the destruction that comes along with it. But their soul is still saved. But their destruction that comes with it. That's what he says. So he's rebuked a couple of things here. One, the overall church. But also an individual that's in this gross immorality. And this is not talking about if I find out that uh, uh, so-and-so... Uh, smokes on the weekends, and uh, and we found it just popped in my head, and then smokes away, and we found out, hey, they're having some issues over here, or they got a, they struggle with smoking, and or whatever it is, let's just whatever it is, and they come to the preacher and say, hey, I've got this issue, then we deal with that issue. We don't bring everybody's pet issue before the church and say, hey, I went to them and told them uh, to stop speeding, and they they're speeding. We're gonna bring them before the church, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. We're not talking about that. But you've got something that is destroying the church like this. This is something they got to deal with. And so he's written this thing twice here. He's got a, a broad rebuke and an individual rebuke. Now I want you to go and we're going to look at restoration. He's rebuked them. He's dealt with them. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I'm going to talk to you about restoring somebody after you've rebuked them. You're rebuking them for the purpose of them correcting themselves. That's what we're doing it. All right. St. Corinthians chapter two. And I want you to see something. All that was kind of laying the groundwork for this. And I want you to see it. Biblical rebuke. I want you to listen to these words I'm going to say. Biblical rebukes are meant to bring conviction to the person. Conviction. That they're under conviction and they are going to make a correction. It's meant for a conviction. Now, I want you to look at it. St. Corinthians chapter number two and look at verse number one. He says, but I determined this with myself that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And he says this, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction, watch now what he's saying, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly to you. Now let me tell you something, I want you to get it. I think I've said this in other messages, but a person that's doing the rebuke, it always bothers me a little bit when people are overjoyed about getting to rebuke people. There's some people that take great pleasure in getting to just peel people's hides. I don't, I never liked that spirit. The spirit in here is many tears as I had to deal with you on this. That's how my spirit was. Look down at verse number 12. Watch what he says. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always calls us to triumph in Christ 
and make manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. And he goes on to talk about the fact that, that uh, and in another place, he says, I, when I got to where I could preach, I couldn't even preach in my open door because I was so burdened. Now, I'm so burdened to find out, I wonder how they responded to the letter I wrote. Did they, how did they respond to the rebuke? That's the way we should be about rebukes. We should be praying for and having a broken heart for the people that we're having to correct. You know, sometimes I'll preach a message and I'll feel like, man, I really had to get, get on to them today. And you say, get on to them. You don't ever get, get on to them. But sometimes I feel like, man, that was a harder message. And then you know what I'm thinking? I hope that they took it in the spirit it was meant to be taken. I've had to get on to some people and say stuff to them and say, hey, you're really in the doing the wrong thing here. It's a mess. What you're doing is a mess. And I'm thinking, I hope they took it in the spirit that it was meant because that's what you're looking for. You're not looking to just wipe people out and get them out. I, I think I, it, it bothers me to think that there are churches that almost pride themselves in just running people off. There was a guy that it, it, uh, was pastoring a church in, um, in Gatesville for a little while. I didn't know what he was a home inspector. And when we moved to the house we were at before this house, he did my home inspection. And he found out that I pastored this church. And I've only been pastoring for about a year. And he's in there doing the home inspection. He's checking the plugs. He's checking this, checking that. And he starts saying, hey, I pastor such and such independent Baptist church. I said, oh, okay. And then we started talking. And he said, uh, I bet you don't do this in your church. And I said, well, no, we do this kind of thing. Yep, that's what I thought. And he's checking another plug. And he was just trying to compare everything we did. He said, I bet you don't practice church discipline. I said, well, we've been there a year. Don't know that we've had many issues to have church discipline. He said, I kicked 60 people out of my church last week. And I'm thinking to myself, if it was if that was me, I'd be weeping as I said that. He's checking plugs and outlets, just throwing that out like it's no big deal. And I thought to myself, Man, I hope I never get your spirit. I hope I never find a way to graduate to the level to be like you. Rebukes aren't supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be you're proud about the fact that you chase people out of the church. I, I, don't, I don't think there's ever should be a spirit that we're happy to discard damaged people. Even if they're messed up. So the idea behind rebuking is you're hoping to help them. You're hoping that it brings conviction to them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at that one. 2 Corinthians 7. And watch verse number 8. Watch what he says. I just want you to get the spirit, this first part. Biblical rebuke is looking for conviction. And I'm going to tell you why I'm, I'm making the point about conviction. Because like I said it this morning, we're looking to challenge you, maybe even convict you, not condemn you. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. So I want you to see it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, the second letter he has written, watch the words he's using as he's talking about dealing with this man and dealing with that church about the rebuke. Look at uh, chapter 7 and verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Meaning, I'm glad I did it, although I wasn't really glad about doing it. For I perceived the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now, I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. I'm not, I'm not excited that, that I made you feel bad. But that you sorrowed to repentance. Because remember, that's what we're doing. We're trying to rebuke, hoping that they will repent. Now, I rejoice. He said, now I rejoice, 
Not that you were made sorrow, but you were made sorrow to repentance, for you were made sorry after a, watch, godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Watch this next verse. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's two different types of sorrow. There is a sorrow that is a worldly sorrow. I feel bad that I got caught. Uh, Things are not going to be the same. Everything's going to be bad. There's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. One leads to ruin. One leads to repentance. And that's what we're shooting for with people. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The devil doesn't want you to have any type of sorrow that leads to repentance. He wants the sorrow that leads to ruin and death. And you look back, you take a look at, at Judas, Judas' sin. The next thing you find Judas doing is hanging himself. That's what, and I've dealt with a ton of people that did not get godly sorrow where they're trying to make things right. They just got worldly sorrow where they just want to die. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit works to John 16, 8, reprove of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit's wanting you to be under conviction so that you can change. The devil just wants you condemned so that you have no solution and you die. One focuses on reconciliation and restoration. The other one just focuses on ruin. One, there's specifics that need to be changed, like... I have failed at this, and I need to correct this. That's conviction. Condemnation works more in generalities. You are a failure, and you just need to die and quit. One's a condemnation. One is a conviction. One shows us that there's a change. The other one tells us there's no hope for change. You know, in Hebrews 12, we... We read it this morning, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. One drives you towards a better relationship with the Father. One drives you even further away from the Father. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. And what we're shooting for with people is we're shooting for conviction. We're wanting them to be convicted of their sin, but get right with God. <clears throat> That's what we're looking for. Condemnation would say, you're never going to get through this. Just curse God and die. It leads to worthlessness and despair. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 and look at verse number 11. Biblical rebuke should be looking for conviction. Biblical repentance should be making a correction. Look at verse number 11. I preached on this the other day. It says this, For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. And then he talks about what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So these people made things right in their life. They got things right. And that's what we're looking for people to do. You know, it's become one of the favorite verses for me in 2 Timothy 2.24. It says this, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, 
in meekness, watch this now, instructing those that oppose themselves. There are people probably sitting in this room that are in opposition to what's best for their life. Whether that's, I talked this morning about foolishness, whether that's alcohol, whether that's pornography, whether it's the way you treat your family, whatever it is, you're in opposition to what's good for your life and you will not make a change in your life. And it doesn't matter how much preaching is going on. You're just not making a change. And in 2 Timothy chapter number 20, uh, ch- chapter 2, verse number 26, it says they're in the snare of the devil. You're in the snare of the devil. And what it tells the servant of God to do is not to strive with them, be gentle, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, what I've got to do or what the people around you that are trying to help you, what they've got to do is they're trying to instruct you that are in opposition. And if we'll do our job right, what God wants to do, it says that God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You know what the job is of a rebuker? Is to show you that you're wrong patiently in meekness with a broken heart trying to get you to see you're on the wrong track. You know what God's wanting to do? God's wanting to come right alongside the person that's rebuking and the Holy Spirit wants to show you that's right, everything they're saying is correct and you need to acknowledge that in your heart and make that correction. And then verse number 26 says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. You know, there's three things part there. One is the rebuker that's trying to show you that you're off track. The Holy Spirit that's trying to say, yes, that's right. And then you have got to put effort into making a correction in your life. Repentance that leads towards correction. But then you've got restoration. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 2. Just go back there with me in a few verses here and we'll be done. Second Corinthians chapter number 2. And I want you to look at restoration. Restoration should do three things. <clears throat> We've talked about the rebuke brings conviction, not condemnation, conviction. Repentance should lead towards a correction. But then restoration, restoring somebody. Look at verse number, I just read you one through four. <clears throat> And then I want you to pick up verse number 6. That's what he says. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Now most people think they're probably talking about the man from 1 Corinthians 5. So what he said so far is, I wrote you a hard letter. My heart was broken about doing it. And I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And then they did make a correction. They made a change. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. They changed what they're doing. They cleared it. They fixed it. They made a correction. And evidently, not only did the church make some correction, but also, according to the man from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it seems like this man must have made a correction because now he's written in chapter 2, it's sufficient. The punishment that was given of that man is sufficient. The man has corrected himself. Now, what do you do now? Listen now, what do you do now with a person that's been in sin, a person that's messed up, a person that's it's open, it's, it's obvious, it's a complete mess, it's something that we've had to deal with, we had to deal with it openly even. Now, what do we do after they get themselves right? Because remember, our rebuke was meant to try to restore them. Well, now, how do we restore them? Well, he says it was sufficient. What took place was sufficient, meaning this, enough's enough. 
The problem with most places is, and with even people in, in their, their lives and their families, is they won't ever let them clear themselves of the matter. They want to hold it over them for some period of time. They never will let them ever get back up. All right, you're down, you messed up, stay down. How long do I stay down for? Stay down for at least, at least a week is too short a time, maybe a month, maybe a year. They want to keep the person down until, why well, not until the person gets right, but until I feel good about where you're at now. But we're supposed to clear them. Man, everybody's phone's going off. We're supposed to clear them. Restoration that clears them. Let me give you another verse. I want you to think about it. First Corinthians, I mean, first John 1 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to, watch, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a forgiving and a cleansing. Now I realize there's a restoration time it takes for getting back on track with some things, but the Spirit is, listen now, the Spirit is, I want you back up as quick as I can get you back up and moving forward with your life. I realize there's some consequences for our actions, but our Spirit is, I don't want to try to find a way to keep this person down. I want to try to find a way to get them back up and going and being profitable for the Lord for the future. That's the Spirit, right? That's the Spirit we're looking for? How many of you are glad that's the Spirit God's got with you? How many of you realize that I'm glad that I can come before Him boldly and find mercy and grace in a time of need? How many of you are glad you can find mercy and grace? How many of you realize you need mercy and grace? The problem is, we don't want to give mercy and grace like we're getting mercy and grace. I'm going to say a few things here. I had several different piles of notes I was looking through to kind of do this. I want you to think about something for a minute. What This is the way I try to approach things a lot of time. You look at the woman that was caught in adultery in the very act in John chapter number 8. Woman caught in adultery in the very act, John chapter number 8. You remember that? And you've got, a, you've got a situation here where a woman was an adulteress and she was caught while she was in the adulterous act. You know what the law did? The law said she's worthy of what? And the Pharisees said, let's bring her out to the middle of the court and we're going to kill her. <clears throat> now, I'm going to tell you. What that meant was pick up a stone and you lay this woman in the middle of the crowd and we start hitting her with rocks. This wasn't, we take her to jail and in the privacy of something over here, nobody ever sees and she's put to death. This is people stand over the top of her and hit her in the head with rocks until she bleeds to death and is unconscious and we keep hitting her in the head with rocks until she expires. That's what we're going to do. And they all had a rock in their hand. And Jesus bent down and wrote. It doesn't say what he wrote. And I think it's for a reason. So that all of us could stand around for years and debate on what he wrote in the sand. But he doesn't, we don't know what he wrote. All we know is those people had those rocks in their hands. And they were all convicted from the oldest to the youngest. And they dropped their rocks and walked off. You know what I have said? Those men were not independent Baptists. You know how I know that? Because they would have had to have saved face. Because when they dropped the rock, you know what it told everybody? I've got sin too. You can't let anybody know you've got sin too. You know what you've got to do? You've got to throw a rock so that you can cover your own self, make yourself look pretty good. I, that, listen, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to help us see. You know when I preached on Wednesday about what will keep you in integrity? You know the first point that David said? Not that I said, David said was following loving kindness. 
will keep you a person of integrity? You say, well, you, I, I know your type. Your type is just saying, is saying that, well, this one was caught in adultery and we just let people do whatever they want to do. No, he said go and sin no more. Did he not? So we, we deal with things, but we're not trying to blow it up. We're not trying to make it bigger than it is. We're not trying to, we're not trying to find ways to make examples out of everybody. We're trying to find ways to help people. I mean, that's what we're doing this for. Do you understand that's what we're doing this for? When I'm writing that stuff in that book, I have found over the years that people, they, it's almost like we're bloodthirsty sometimes. We want to see people, we want to see something done with people as long as it is in our people, in our family. And I've, I told somebody just this week, I, was, I went and ate with them and I was talking about restoration and talking about all this stuff. We're just eating and trying to figure out how to help people through restoration. And I said, you know what's interesting? <clears throat> There's people, there are churches, there are specific churches all over the United States. I know of some of them. And their ministry has been to try to help people that have wrecked their lives. I mean, in sin. I mean, in just, let's just be real honest, in some flat out terrible sin. And they have wrecked their lives. You know, there's churches that let them come there and restore. God forbid that there are churches out there that help people that are down to get back up. Can you believe it? I mean, can you honestly believe there are churches like that? I say that with a sarcasm intended. And they help people. And I was talking to one of them and I said, you know, you've got a guy up there that y'all are trying to help. And everybody, all the brethren in the world I can think of, they have tried to shoot at these people, bring them down, fire at them, call, make up stuff, call the police. And, and just all kinds, of, I can't go into all the details, but all the crazy stuff they've tried to do to just wreck this, this pastor that didn't ask to start a ministry to take, you know what every church is looking for? I wrote this in that book the other day. You know what I thought ministry will be? A bunch of soul winners that love to give and sing songs and they all play the piano. And they all just, I mean, they got beautiful voices and they love to witness to people and help people. And that's what the wonderful world of ministry is going to be about. You know, nobody ever starts out saying, can you send me all your masses? Can you send me all your broken? Can you send me all your... But that's kind of the spirit Jesus had, is it not? You don't think about ministry like that, but really when you think about what ministering really is, is you're helping broken people get put back together. And let me tell you something, before everybody looks around and starts thinking, yeah, well, you know, maybe, you know, I've got it put together. I know just about everybody in here, I know just about everybody in here has got something. You probably don't tell anybody else, but I probably know. And I bet you even better than that, God knows. And we are the type. I don't want us to be this type. I don't ever want to be this type. That when we're driving down the road and somebody flies by saying, where's the cop when we need them? And when we see them pulled over, you're like, yes, got them. But I've said this before, where the blue lights are behind us, we're like, mercy, mercy. But we see somebody else, it's justice, justice. That's what we are. Folks, I'm just telling you, we're, we're laughing, but that's what we are. Restoration. Allowing people to, trying to find a way, not find a way to highlight people's mistakes, but find a way with tears to help them get up from where they're at and get right. What else did he say? It's sufficient. Verse number seven, watch what he says. 
so that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him and, watch this next one, comfort him. Now watch what it says. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up of overmuch sorrow. Overmuch sorrow. Our job is to try to lead them towards repentance and then forgiveness, and then we're supposed to comfort them. Comfort means to give them strength of spirit, giving ease, giving encouragement, consoling them. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do that. Do you realize that restoring work towards sinners sinners is just as important as rebuking work? There's some of us that think, I want the ministry of rebuking, because I love doing that. You know what? But getting down in the trenches with people and restoring them, that's a more difficult job. It's easy to stand up and tell everybody where all their problems are at. Everybody want, can you sign me up for that job? I love that job. But getting down with people that are scarred and messed up and sick and they've, they've completely messed their life up and picking those people back up, cleaning them up and getting them back on track, that's not the easiest job. Comforting them. <clears throat> now listen, not only does Satan want them to have worldly sorrow, but he also wants to find a way, watch that, I want you to get this, this is most, one of the most important things in the message, wants to find a way to put them in an environment where people will not let them get back up, will not comfort them, so that they will be swallowed up of overmuch sorrow. You know what he wants them, he wants them dead this way, worldly sorrow, so you can just go kill yourself. But then if, if he loses them there, watch now, if he loses them there, and they do have godly sorrow, and they do repent, and they do try to get up. He got them the second time, because this is what he does. He puts them around a bunch of people that won't let them get back up. And now they have overmuch sorrow. And now they want to die because they can never get back up from what they did wrong. You see it? I mean, it's just right there. It flies in the face of how we feel about things, but this is Bible. Comfort them. To withhold forgiveness from the repentant is playing right into the hands of the devil. What did he say to do? Comfort him. Look at verse number 8. Wherefore I beseech you that you would, watch the next one, confirm your love toward him. You see it? The first one is you clear them, you let them get up. You comfort them, then you confirm your love to them. I know people don't like this. I know people don't like this. But this is the truth. Confirm your love to them. You forgave them. Now forgive them. And then show them that you love them. Watch what it says. For this end also that I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive all anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes I forgave it in the person of Christ. Watch what he says in verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do you realize that if we don't clear them, we don't comfort them, we don't confirm our love to them, what's going to happen is, listen, it's real close. They're going to have overmuch sorrow, And Satan's going to take advantage of the people that aren't forgiving. It's an open door for Satan to get in. I think we do this a lot. 
You know, when, a, when an offender is made to feel that while his sin is, is punished, he himself is loved, and the desired end is not his suffering, but his good, he's more likely to be brought to repentance. As this world gets crazier and crazier, we're going to see stranger things happening all around us that we're going to have to work through <coughs> with people. But we're supposed to be, as a church, I mean, you know, what is a hospital for? You say, well, I just hope all the well people are at the hospital. No, sick people go to hospitals to see doctors to get being made well again. Well, sometimes, you know, I would like it if the church was filled with people that are just, that were, that were doing things perfectly. I would like that. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of people come to church that have issues. That's why we would confess our faults one another. We might spend time talking about, hey, I've got a fault here that I need, to, I need someone to help me with and pray for me with. Not with the idea that if you pray with me, you pray with me today and tell everybody that you know about it the next day but that you pray about it. And that we join in this thing together to try to get some, some help. You know, we are, we're a church where we're supposed to be helping people. And there's a lot of people probably sitting in here that are probably struggling with some area of your life. And here's what we've created. We've created a really good environment where nobody, we've made sure that nobody will go to somebody else and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Because if you do, then somebody's going to find a way to spread that to everybody and bring condemnation, not correction, into your life. Now, in no way am I saying we just overlook stuff. Paul didn't. Paul said, deal with it. But when somebody's trying to get themselves right, let's pick them up. Let's comfort them. Let's confirm our love towards them. And let's get them on the right track. I've, tried, I, I, I've not been good at this all the time. I have, I have not. But I, I promise you, I have tried to do it this way. I've tried to do it. I've, I've tried to, to, to uh, go to people that I know were messed up, that I'm not for what they're doing. Not for what they're doing. But I've tried to find ways to be clever, to send them messages every once in a while to say, hey, I just want you to know, although you're over there and I'm not for what you're doing, I haven't changed. I love you. And I want to see you get better. If you need me, you call me. And I've told some of them this. I, I've told them this. And I'm not saying I'm good. I'm saying I'm trying. I've told them this, that I know you're off and I know you're in a mess. But when you finally come to yourself, I don't care where you're at. If you'll call me, if I got to get a plane ticket to go there, I'll fly there and get you. But I'll go to wherever you're at and help you get up and get back to where you need to be at. And I don't say that because I'm doing anything good, because I promise you I've got other issues that, I've got a, that I'm not good at. But I'm trying. You know what? I've, I'll get the verse a little bit wrong, but it's something to do with God will show mercy if you show mercy. You know what I want God to always do in my life and in my family? Be merciful. Do you know what I try to err on? The side of mercifulness. That's what I would try to do if I was you. I try to have a heart like God's heart when it comes to people that have messed up around us. That's the plan. Rebuke, repent, restore. And when we start the process of rebuke, it's with the idea we're headed for restoration. That's what we're doing it for. That's the whole goal every time. Let's stand. <clears throat>
Lord, Father, we love You and we thank You tonight for Your Word. These messages all work together so well. So many people, bitterness, as they don't even realize they're in the, what you said in your word in Acts 8, they're in the gall of bitterness. They are completely consumed by bitterness and they can't move out of it to see clearly. And they can't forgive. And they can't let people around them be forgiven. <clears throat> and Father, I pray You'd help us to have a different type of spirit when it comes to all these things. To be more like You when it comes to all of this. Father, help us have the right heart. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, Lord, but I am saying it's Your Word. And I would, I would ask You tonight to help us Help us to have a heart that's like your heart. Lord, if there's somebody here today that is off track, I pray that they would be convicted, not condemned, and they'd make a correction. And I pray this would be a place that would comfort and confirm love to them. Lord, do the work in the hearts of these people now. In Jesus' name, amen. She's going to play. If you need to pray,